This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is November the 3rd. Markets have kind of taken a slight downturn. Um, the other day, the Fed had a press conference. Jerome Powell indicating a Another 75 um, rate hike. December, you know, could probably be the same, and maybe we'll have a slowdown in 2023. Uh, I, I, you know, Tim, I didn't see it, but you know, the initial job boning seemed to indicate that we might be coming on to a slowdown, uh, and then traders seem to have a different opinion on that uh, today. Uh, so I just, you know, maybe you can tell us a little yeah. bit more about Jerome Powell's comments and why there's been yeah. kind of a whiplash between yesterday and today. Yeah, well, I mean, this whole fascination with the pivot, I mean, everybody is waiting for the pivot. Everybody's waiting for the pause. Uh, and when the Fed put out the, the announcement that they were doing 75 bips, which was no surprise to anybody, there was, there was some change in the language where they simply acknowledged that we are aware that Fed policy manifests with lags. Like, we get it. And the market got all excited about that, ripped higher, and then the press conference started and Powell starts taking questions and he made it very, very clear that it is premature. Uh, that was the word that he used to talk about a pause. Um, and that, it, and, and really I think the takeaway from the press conference is that they will slow down how fast they do it. In other words, the front loading is over, but how long they go is still to be determined. I, I feel like the, the Fed, after every after every decision, ought to say we're data dependent. That's all. The, of course, they're data dependent. What else are they going to be? Like they don't know what the future is. They've proven they don't know what the future is. No, no shot at them. It's not their fault. But everybody thinking that the Fed should somehow anticipate uh, when inflation is still running hot, when employment is still super strong, the idea that the Fed is going to come out and go, you know what, we're good. We think we know the future. Things are going to slow down. We'll just stop here. We'll be careful what you wish for. What if the Fed does that? What if the Fed said, you know what, we're good here? What happens to the long end? What happens to the credibility of the Fed? All of a sudden, people start to say, well, shit, the Fed may not be that serious about managing inflation. Maybe they are worried more, <clears throat> more about the stock market than they are worried about um, price stability. So I, I just... It's a little frustrating to me to watch the nonsense. I mean, they 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 put some guys up on CNBC right after the, uh, you know, guys from J.P. Morgan, guys from Bank of America, uh, right after the note comes out, the uh, this the announcement, and they're like, "This is a big deal. This is a really big deal." Within half an hour, they were proven dead wrong. Just listen to the press conference. Let the guy talk through what the strategy is. This whole idea that you're going to pick a bottom, it's not an easy thing to do. Nobody can do it. This idea that you're going to, you're going to anticipate the pivot. You, you, and even if you do anticipate the pivot, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get the markets right, especially if the pivot comes too early and the sense is that, okay, maybe they don't have the, maybe they don't have the commitment to price stability that we thought. So anyway, th th that's my take on, on on the Fed, it's got it's gotten as ridiculous as as non-farm payroll day for God's sakes. Yeah, I mean you're talking about data dependent and employment. As we know now, there's probably 
one worker to 1.7 jobs out there. Uh, you know, in terms yeah, of the, that number, by the yeah. way, that number just ticked higher again. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so, like, you're not getting what you need to see on the employment side. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no. Um, you know, and it, most of the stuff right now, as we've talked about, it's a lagging indicator, but a lot of it just seems to be anecdotal. Like, Amazon is looking at hiring, and everyone's looking. Um, I mean, you know, Twitter's pretty much firing everyone, but uh, Elon Musk and five software yeah. engineers from Stanford, but that's just another story altogether. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you know, that would go great for Elon. <laughs> yeah, but most of the other companies, it's just more kind of a tepid response. We're, we're looking at hiring. Um, the growth might be what it was in the past, but you're, I don't think you're seeing major layoffs right now anyways. The only place you're seeing real, real weakness is in housing, right? And I always repeat that Michael Kantrowitz, uh, acronym H-O-P-E, housing, manufacturing, orders is the O, P is um, um, uh, profits on the S&P, E is employment, E comes last, and, and, and that's no surprise, but you are getting nothing, nothing on the employment side. You're getting a little bit of a slowdown in the rate of change in wage growth, but that's it, uh, and you're barely seeing much of a profits tick down. I mean, I think earnings for the for next year are down maybe six seven percent. You take out energy, maybe that number is closer to ten percent. But you got a long ways to go. Um, housing is still in the early stages of its breakdown, but that that that's the only thing that is really in the cards already that the Fed knows where they've accomplished. They got a lot of work to do to know that they're going to win on the east side. And you know where you know where I am on this. It all comes down to one thing: it's the worker shortage. It's we don't have enough workers. It's also the energy problem and, and the energy underinvestment. But the biggie is we don't have enough workers. And, and frankly, I was surprised that the chairman is still unwilling to admit that we have wage push inflation. That's the problem here. Because I think he's afraid if he admits that, that he admits that we are already in the beginning of the wage price spiral. And that is that 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 means that you as a Fed have failed and you're way behind the curve. And when we're looking at PCE, I mean, core personal consumption expenditures increase 0.5% from the previous month, um, looking at 5.1 over the past 12 months. It's more or less roughly in line with Dow Jones's estimates. Uh, but yeah, like you know, like you said, it's still running hot. Um, wage inflation's cooled down a little bit in the third quarter, but overall, everything's still running pretty hot. Yeah. So core PCE, uh, uh, yeah, PCE as well as core CPI are both running kind of high four, low five. The Fed has just gotten itself on the Fed funds to 375.4. So why do we think there's going to be a pivot? Why do we think the Fed is going to say, you know what, we're going to be good. We're just kind of watch things from here. You know, anybody can tell you that historically the Fed has got to get the Fed funds rate through where core inflation is before you could actually anticipate a pause and a pivot. And again, be careful what you wish for. We get to the point where this Fed is pivoting, it's because we're deep in a recession. You've, you've brought up the fact that two might not be the magic number anymore. Um, when you look at the history of yeah. equity markets, going back really since the 60s, two to four has kind of been a magic number in terms of price to earnings multiples. So, you know, will we see anything where a change I mean, in two to four is two percent. to four is an ideal for higher multiples? Right. For exactly. 
two to four is not ideal for higher multiples. Um, and, you know, maybe two is not the magic number anymore. I don't know. Well, I, I think we'll see. I, I think that um, th there's an argument that if the Fed were to say, you know what, two's too low, we're just not going to get to two, then that creates a credibility problem for them. That 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 is like a, that is a retreat for them. So if there if, if there is going to be a concession that maybe two is not the real level that is realistic anymore amid an inflationary world. Um, uh, and therefore, they're going to recalibrate to three, three and a half. I, I think they may have to do that. I, I think at some point they may have to do that. I think that's well out into the future. He very much strongly reiterated yesterday that two is still the objective. Um, but, you know, if people have to start using a much higher discount rate uh, than that two, two and a half, that has a meaningful negative consequence for, few, for, 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 for equity multiples. Let's talk about, we mentioned it a little bit um, in the earlier comments, but yeah, we certainly seem to be looking at a hard landing for home builders. Um, they were a major beneficiary when we turned out, you know, in the COVID economy with interest rates and surging demand and everything else. Um, housing prices went up over 40% in just two years. Uh, but yeah, I mean, with supply constraints, things like lumber and steel are more expensive and with obviously mortgage rates. Um, so yeah, we're just clearly seeing cracks. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it's on the good side. It's it's on things like lumber and steel where you have, the Fed has one, where you have created enough of a slowdown where you created, you know, you had all the double ordering and all the things that happen when you get to the top of the cycle that you end up with too much inventories. But the home builders still have the other cost side, which is which is just labor that hasn't come in well. It is going to. The Fed is going to win on that front. But I'm, I'm I mean, Look, if you were looking for a house and you had you had 20% to put down and you had $2,500 a month to spend, you know, a year ago, you were looking at around a $700,000, $750,000 house. Now you're looking for a $450,000 house. Now, the beauty of the United States is so many of us have a fixed mortgage, have a 30-year fixed mortgage. That's not the case in Canada. It's not the case in Australia. It's not the case in the UK and New Zealand. So there is, just like back in the great financial crisis, this is going to be a global housing crash. I suspect the U.S. will do better. I think the problem in the U.S. that you're going to have is not only will prices come down, they will come down less than they will in Canada, U.K., Australia, but you're just going to have such a freeze. And it's such a big part of the U.S. economy. You know, people forget how many jobs are correlated to housing and it's not and those jobs aren't based on prices going up they're based on turnover they're based on new houses being built uh and that's where i think we're just going to be in a deep freeze for a while there's going to be a long hard discovery process because sellers aren't going to want to admit that oh man my my neighbor just sold his house for six hundred thousand three months ago how come you're telling me I can't get 500 for it now? And that's going to be the hard reality, and that's going to be a long, hard adjustment process. Um, you know, and let's, I guess, kind of wrap up on the energy side. Uh, it looks like Europe's energy crisis is definitely far from over. Um, you know, Western officials are kind of looking at a loosely policed, you know, cap around $60 a barrel. Uh, but, you know, that just doesn't seem like it's feasible right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, 
I'm not sure if anybody has a handle on what they think will happen with the price caps, um, how well they'll be imp implemented, how well the Russians will do in being able to divert oil to India, China, and all the many other countries that will be more than happy to take it and pay maybe some other smaller discount to market prices. The bigger issue is the natural gas issue, and they were just weather dependent. Like so far, you know, nat gas has come way down in much of Europe because they've run out of storage and they've had good weather. But, you know, I don't know what the weather is going to be. And if you get a long, cold period in Europe, they're going to have a huge problem on the natural gas side. So I think the bigger variability and their bigger risk and where the volatility is going to be is more on that nat gas side as opposed to the oil side. Because I think that um, Europe will, will ultimately be able to get the oil that they need and the Russians will be able to find buyers uh, for that oil. Uh, but it's the nat gas side where there's going to be huge volatility. And I think most of that is going to be dependent on weather. Yeah. And you're seeing increased volatility and in shipping out of the Black Sea again. Um, you know, the grain exports yeah. right. kind of gone on and off, depending on how Putin's been feeling on a day to day basis um, yeah. this week. Uh, you know, as, I, as I, I wonder if, you know, he. He, he, he broke the deal and then went back into the deal. He made some conciliatory comments around um, the, the, you know, any idea that they would use nuclear, uh, maybe just some slightly less hawkish uh, saber rattling. So maybe hopefully Putin is, is, is realizing that he's got no real way to win in the end here. Um, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of, of ways to make a positive out of, sort of the last couple of things that have happened with with russia and the ukraine not easy no no it's seems warfare is highly dependent on destroying energy infrastructure right now it seems just because they're losing you know in terms of peer-to-peer -peer combat operations so yeah he's um, just gonna break as much shit as he can on the way yeah. out yeah yeah um yeah i mean what else should we look at obviously Midterms you know, is coming up. Uh, we're talking about to that with Jonathan this coming week. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I gave a presentation yesterday and, you know, I talk about this stuff that I'm always talking about, you know, inflation, the issues that we have around inflation and under energy underinvestment and all that. And there were a lot of questions around, but don't you think the markets will go up after these midterm elections because it, you know, quote unquote, reduces uncertainty? Well, I don't know what, um, and, and, and I, I don't give a shit about the historicals, you know, markets and midterms and this, like, I just, I, I don't give a shit about that. Markets generally go up and you can, you can move the data around any way you want to find probabilities. Mm -hmm. I think you throw out all the historicals, as you know, I think, because we're in an inflationary environment, whereas the last 40 years we weren't in an inflationary environment. I just don't see why the midterms are going to matter that much in terms of what are we going to learn? In other words, we already knew the Dems were going to lose the House, right? Once you lose the House, there's really no chance for meaningful legislation being passed for the next two years. So if there's going to be any kind of fiscal stimulus or anything, it's not coming until 2025 at the earliest. So the only question is, do you lose the Senate? Does, do the Democrats lose the Senate? But the only implication of that really is judges. That has long-term implications. But I don't see how it really matters to equity markets whether or not 
um, the Dems and how the how how the how the Senate ends up actually going. I just don't see how it makes much of a difference. Look, it, as soon as you lose the House, you're going to have the debt ceiling battle. Um, uh, that's that's that that's going to happen whether the, the Republicans win the Senate or not. So mm-hmm. I just don't see why the elections matter all that much to equity markets. What really matters is inflation and how deep of a global recession we're in and what does Putin do in the Ukraine and what does Xi do uh, in China and how bad really is the Chinese property market? You know, you, you're. I mean, we keep taking our eye off the ball on, on Asia and yet exports out of South Korea are down like 20% and they're down 30% into China. Anybody who doesn't believe that China is already in a deep recession uh, isn't paying close enough t- attention to the data that you can rely on as opposed to the data where they know you're, where you should know they're lying to you. Yeah, I, so you make up a good point. I mean, you lose one body, there's going to be as much policy paralysis as if you lose two bodies of Congress. So it's just... Nothing's happening yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Um, yeah, I, apart from that, I mean, we still got some earnings coming out and... Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's going to be another precarious few weeks. Uh, but yeah, it's just kind of been the, the theme of things recently. Yeah, and I, and I think earnings, you know, we kind of know what we're getting in earnings, which is that the market is, is, is absorbing the fact that numbers are coming lower. Buy side numbers were already a lot lower than sell side numbers. It's been interesting to watch the reactions, though, like the, the depth of the Amazon reaction, you know, Amazon was down 20% after the print bounce, but is now making new lows. Again, I talk about it. When you have big companies that are that are valued on their long-term growth prospects, um, when 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 the long-term growth prospect comes down, that multiple can because of the rate at which they compound, that multiple is going to come down a lot. And that's what you're starting to see in the whole fang complex and the whole large cap tech complex. The next data that matters is going to be another CPI print. And, and who knows? But inflation is coming down way too slowly. And the reason it's coming down way too, slow, way too slowly is there's too much wage push inflation. That's the bottom line. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Tim. Um, for all listeners and subscribers, thank you as well. Obviously, we have a big conversation coming this week uh, with Jonathan Golub. We'll be talking about the election. We'll be talking about Fed's overall performance and, uh, you know, you know, a myriad of other factors, but it'll be a good conversation. Um, yep. Yeah, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the contents. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.